two are working. Yeah, that one's working today. all over the house this evening. Let's join together in worship. Let's sing an old hymn of the church. There is power in the blood. Let's worship the Lord. Lord I would you be free from your burden. 
Father, Lord, we are in this house, and we've gathered in your name, and we worship you, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, that we are in your house tonight. God, we thank you for bringing us safely back to this appointed time. And Lord, we know there is still power in the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for the presence of God we felt in the house this morning. And we ask that same spirit to resonate with us tonight. Father, I pray that every note that is played, song that is sung, message that is given would be for the upbuilding and the advancement of the kingdom of God. In the name of the Father and the Son, we pray. And all God's people together said amen. 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 Will you take the next few moments and welcome those around you in the Lord today. join back together. Let's stand all over the house again. Let's go back into worship tonight. Let's sing this song, Ancient of Days.
place. Lord, we thank you for the presence of God that we feel in this house tonight as well as we felt this morning. Father, we want to welcome you in this place. We want to have residency with you in this house. Father, Father, I pray the remaining portion of this service, God, that you would orchestrate it to the best of your ability, that it would bring glory and honor to you, and we will give you all the praise and the glory and the honor. In Christ's name we pray, and all God's people said amen. Amen. You may be seated briefly in the presence of the Lord. While you're seated, if you'll turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. While you're turning there, let me just make a quick plug uh, real fast. Um, I, I want to give a shout out. I know she's got to leave, but I'm going to give a shout out real quick to Madison today. Um, Madison was told earlier today she was supposed to be at work, and, uh, and she had asked for many times that not to have to work on Sunday afternoons and evenings to help us with the running of the media. And so, long story short, she had a tough call to make, and her dad and her discussed it today, and they had some things to finagle or whatever, but she was able to, to with her dad's help and, and, and her commitment to our church, she said, Pastor, I can stay to 645, and then I'll have to slip out real fast, just change in the car, go straight to work or whatever else, and you'll just have to, if you don't mind, run your, your sermon off of your, your remote, off your phone, and I want to tell you, that's commitment. I thank God that we have teenagers that are willing to put God before their job. They, she could easily said, well, I got to work. I'm not going to be there. I know other folks can't be there tonight. Good luck figuring out how to do the media and the sound tonight. But uh, I want it to be known before this body that I appreciate people who are committed to the things of God. So can we just give her a hand of appreciation for that? That means so much to me today. And I know she's going to have to slip out here in just momentarily to get to work. But you know what? I thank God for commitment. If you have your Bibles, I want you to go with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 15. We'll read down to verse 23 and then we'll flip over to chapter 3, verse 17 through 20. Once you have it, I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of God's word just so we can honor the reading of God's word in this house today. also want to tell, thank Brother Randy for refilling my water bottle today under the pulpit today I forgot it this morning and shout out to brother Larry in the middle of prayer to understand sign language because I couldn't get his attention he was praying novelty and I was waving I was sending smoke signals I couldn't get any attention finally sister Jennifer she's not quite as saved as brother Larry she was looking at the preacher she got she got her attention and brother Larry was able to rescue me in a dire situation so for both of those fine gentlemen thank you for helping the preacher out with that today Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to begin in verse 15. Let's read this together. Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for the saints, do not cease to pray and give thanks for you, making mention of you in all my prayers, that the God of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom, revelation, in the knowledge of Him, the eyes of your understanding be enlightened, and that you may know what is the hope of, your call, hope of His calling, and what is the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the, work, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Jesus Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, 
far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but the age which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things, the church, which is his body and the fullness of him who fulfills it all. That Jesus Christ may dwell in your hearts through the faith and that you may be rooted and grounded in love and may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the depth, and the height of his love and to know the love of Jesus of Christ which surpasses all knowledge and that may you be filled with the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above that which you can think or comprehend or ask, some translations will say, according to the power that worketh within us. Now I want you to notice something really quick before I continue reading. He's giving a description of that power that worketh within us. Now notice verse 21. For above all these things we have dominion. Every name that is named, not only in this world, but notice the things to come. Notice, though, I want you to go, if you can, to chapter 3 really quickly. And notice chapter 3, verse 17. Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And we just talked about it, about being grounded and rooted and Jesus Christ being the head of the church and all things under his feet. Christ Jesus may dwell in your hearts being grounded and rooted in love. You may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the depth, width, length, and breadth, and height. And to know the love of Jesus Christ. I want you to understand something. This is not Paul just writing to a church. If you actually look this up, this is actually a prayer. He is praying over this church. I want to talk for a few moments how to pray triumphant prayers. How to pray triumphant prayers. Let's pray together. Father, to the best of my ability, help me to preach your unadulterated word. Help me to speak only your words. Not my words, but your words. God, hide me behind the cross of Calvary. Anoint these lips of clay with a coal from the altar of heaven. And I pray that we not be hearers of this word only, but doers thereof likewise. Thank you for the presence of God and the power of God that has been displayed in this house this day. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Praying triumphant prayers. In a small Kentucky town, there were two churches. And also in that same town, there was one major whiskey distillery. Members of both of the churches in that small town complained to the local government officials that the distillery gave the community a bad image. Besides, the owner of the, of the distillery was an atheist and he had no regard for the things of God. The churches tried through civic means and civil courts Tried to shut down the distillery, but oftentimes kept finding themselves unsuccessful. At last, they began to come together and decided to have a joint prayer meeting to ask God to help them in this matter. 
One Saturday night, both congregations gathered together in one of the small churches in that town and began to pray. While they were praying, a terrible electrical storm began to wreak havoc in the town and shut down the power and thunder and lightning was flashing and rolling all across the sky. The church members of both part, when both church, both church members left the building that night, to their delight, they noticed across the way that lightning had struck the distillery and had burned it to the ground. The next morning, on Sunday morning, both of the pastors of their church preached a message centered on the topic, the power of prayer. The fire insurance adjuster showed up promptly to notify the distillery owner that there would be no pay, payment out for damages because fire was classified as an act of God. The adjuster pointed out that coverage for acts of God was excluded from his policy. Whereupon the, the distillery owner sued both churches and their members claiming that they had conspired with God to destroy his business. It got so bad that the, he actually took them to court and the defendants, the church, denied vehemently that they had done any such thing as co-conspiring with God. At the trial, the judge Riley observed after the preliminary presentations this rendering. He said, I find this case to be very perplexing to me. We have a situation where the plaintiff, an atheist, is professing his belief in the power of prayer. And we have the defendants, the church, that are denying that there's any power in prayer at all. Now, the reality of that short story or humorous analogy and illustration really centers on the concept of do we really still believe in the power of prayer? See, it's easy for all of us to say we believe in prayer. Those church people gathered together praying for God to do something. But when he did, they vehemently denied that God did it for their behalf. They said, no, 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 we didn't conspire with God. But did they not go to church and ask God, God, will you make a way? Will you do something? And when he did, they decided to say, no, 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 it wasn't us because the heat was turned up in the kitchen. See, we, we say the right things. You see, I feel like there's still a paradox today. There are people who will say they believe in prayer, but they don't. And then there are people who say they don't believe in prayer, but when the rubber meets the road and trouble hits, they've never prayed before, but all of a sudden prayer is the best option they've got, and they believe in it then. But somewhere between this dichotomy of believing prayer in prayer, but not really believing, and not believing in prayer, but really believing, there's got to be a people of God that believes in the power of prayer and believes in the power of prayer. You see, we as a church, I'm not talking about just our church, I'm talking about the Universal Church, Church of God International with 8.6 million members worldwide. And I believe the same could be said about our good Baptists and our good Church of God of Prophecy and Assemblies of God and all of those uh, international Pentecostal holiness. I believe that if you really study the cardinal doctrines of each church, that every church that, that we are fellowship with and we, we believe the same Bible with and we believe the same, if you will, teachings, we may disagree or, or have a little bit of here and there on theology, but the main tenets of faith, every one of those will tell you they believe in prayer. 
That's what their doctrine will say. Every one of them will have somewhere in their doctrine, we are a church of prayer. We have prayer meetings. We have prayer vigils. We have prayer gatherings. We have prayer teams. We have prayer lists. We have prayer, uh, you know, uh, Nehemiah prayer. We have uh, Monday night prayer. We have divine encounter. They'll tell you they're people of prayer. But not all of them exhibit what they say they believe. They say the right things. They have a form of godliness. A form of it. But not completely. There are a lot of church people that go to church every week that if they had to pray their way out of a wet paper bag, they wouldn't know how to pray a simple, now I'll lay me down to sleep to get out of the bag. It's the truth. There's a reason Jesus told us to come with childlike faith. And when these little children pray, they are so, you can ask Miss Glenda, you can ask Miss Sandy, Miss Beulah, Miss Jeannie. Uh, Brianna, any of those, those folks, they, when you ask one of those children to pray in children's church or pray in, in, in jam, Jesus and me class, or, or pray in Sunday school, there's something about because they believe with all their heart. It's like a belief in Santa Claus to a degree. They believe it. They, believe, they pray and they believe it. Dear Jesus, please let my mommy not be mad at me today because I got chocolate syrup on my clothes. Lord, please let my mommy let me eat chocolate candy when I get home today before lunch. They believe God can hear those kinds of prayers. They pray them so passionately. They, they mean sincere. They sincerely pray it. They mean it. It may not seem like a really nice prayer in the moment, but in reality, they believe in, the, in what they're praying. They believe. Nothing will break your heart anymore. And I've had the experience to see this live in person. Nothing will break your heart when you start to begin to take prayer requests around a room in a boys club class or a girls club class. You ask them for prayers and little Johnny says, well, I pray that I get a, you know, a Nintendo Switch for Christmas. And little Sally says, I pray that I get it. Nothing will break your heart more than when one little girl will sit in the room or one little boy will sit in the room. I pray that God will help my daddy who's in jail. That'll crush you, Brother James, in that moment. You'll realize the power of being blessed. Or when little Sally looks and says, I pray that my mommy and daddy get back together because right now my mommy and daddy live in separate places. That will crush your heart. That will move your heart. But they mean it, Brother Mike, with such sincerity. They mean it with all their heart. They believe God can hear them when they pray. That's why Jesus said that if we had prayer, if we had faith like children, we could see miraculous things happen because they believe wholeheartedly. The problem is the older we've gotten, the more conditioned we've become, and the more we've kind of, if you will, collected the barnacles of life on our shoulders, and we've got the leeches of society sucking all the life out of us, that when we pray... We don't really 100% believe it can happen. Well, God, I know the Bible said God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly. I know that's what the Bible says, but this is a big one. I don't know if God can handle this one. You know how I know that? Because we do things like this. We come to the altar. You know, we sing all the songs. You know, take it to the Lord in prayer. Can you find a friend so faithful? We talk about cast your cares upon the Lord. He cares for you. Take your yoke is easy. Burden is like we sing. We say all the right stuff. We come up to God and say, oh, God. I need your help with said such, 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 such said in such situation. I need your help with this. I need you, God, to help me with my family. I need you to help me with my marriage. 
But instead in casting our cares upon him for he cares for us and taking his yoke upon us, what we do is we pick it back up and we walk back to our seat. What we're really saying is, God, I brought it to you, but on second thought, I'm not sure you're capable. Not sure you can do it after all, God. God, I know I prayed that you'd restore my marriage. God, I know I prayed that you'd help me make a decision on the job. But on second thought, you know what? I'm going to call Sister Mary and ask her what she thinks about this job opportunity. That's what people do. God, I, is this the right choice for my family? We get up from the altar and we call Brother Andrew. Now, all right, here's all the pros of the job. Here's all the cons. Now, what would you do if you were in my shoes? Come on, don't look at me like you've only been to church one time in your life. We go, we go to the altar and we give it to God, but we give it to God for about 15 seconds. And then we say, but you know, on second thought, I'm, I'm already used to carrying the load. So I'll just put the backpack back on because I've already gotten used to the back pain. I've gotten used to this bag. I'll just carry it from here on out. That's not how God designed you to be. He wanted you to live triumphantly. The church of the redeemed. And be able to pray triumphant prayers. You see, the, the apostle Paul, he was giving a basic expectation for prayer. We all want results for our petitions. But I would tell you that God also wants us to pray for other people to live triumphantly. Not just us. The Apostle Paul was going through his own battle. He had his own problems, but he wasn't just praying for himself. The Apostle Paul, in all his own problems, was praying for the betterment of other people's problems as well. When he's writing to the church of Ephesus, he's not writing it for himself. He's praying on their behalf. He's praying for them. The Apostle Paul was a man of prayer. He had many churches and many people on his prayer list. So I want to talk just briefly about how to pray triumphant prayers. The first thing you got to understand is the occasion of prayer. What does it look like? Well, the first thing you have to notice is the Apostle Paul in verse 15 says this. He says, After I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for the saints... There was a prompting in the Apostle Paul's heart. He heard the story of the church at Ephesus. And the more he heard about their faith, the more it prompted him to pray a prayer of faith over them. There was a prompting. There was a, a, an unction in his spirit. He heard that their faith was authentic. It was not based on hearsay. It was not based on heresy. It was not based on superstition or learning or legend. It was based on, look at what he said. He said, after I heard of your faith, not in anything else, but your faith in Jesus. That's the most authentic faith you can have is in Jesus Christ. There, you can put your faith in the government. You can put your faith in a pastor. You can put your faith in a job. You can put your faith in a marriage. You can put your faith in your family. And lo and behold, when it's all said and done, you're going to be failed and you're going to be miserable. And every time something will let you down. But if you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, he's never let one thing ever fail on his watch. He's never let anything happen. If you put it in Jesus, you'll be sure and confident he'll see it through every time. He said, I was confident the prayer was authentic. The faith was authentic. He said, your faith was active. You see, one of the greatest ways we can show good works is showing our faith and love and devotion to Jesus Christ. 
The Apostle John said in John 13 and 35, by, all, by this all men will know you are my disciples by the way you love one another. That is showing your faith. You're showing your devotion. Apostle Paul said to the church at Ephesus, he said, your faith was demonstrated because you loved God's people. He said to the loving of the saints. He, he, he referenced to the, to the saints of God. What he is saying to them is he's saying to them, I realize you love God's people like I love God's people. The saints were God's people. You see, their love was released by God. It was, their lives were, their, the love they had was touched by God. Not only was there a prompting, there was a suggestion of it. He, he told them, he said, listen, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pray. I'm praying this over you. I, I'm praying this because of your love and devotion. It wasn't, some, it wasn't just some sporadic prayer. The Apostle Paul just off the cuff decided to pray. It was very systematic in exercise. It was very thought out what he wanted to say. So when we try to pray triumphant prayers, we have to know the occasion. What, what are we praying for? Who are we praying for? Why are we praying for it? What's the occasion? But the Apostle Paul goes on to show us the manner of how to pray. Verse number 16 says this. He said, do not cease. To give thank, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. What he's telling them is every day that I pray, I mention you to God. When I get up in the morning and I do my morning devotions, I call you out to God. When I do my noonday prayer, I call you out to God. When I go to bed at night, I call your name out to God. Anytime God and I have conversation, we talk about you and we talk about how I'm thankful for you to be a part of the journey. Prayers of faith, prayers of faith. Apostle Paul was consistent. He was proper. You see, thanksgiving creates the atmosphere for prayer. How do I know? The psalmist said in Psalms 104, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving. It sets the tone for the moment. You see, in our culture, we have this persuasive negativism where everybody likes to look at the flaws of everybody else rather than the good. And everybody else. We specialize in everybody's downfall. And fail to remember. That before the pitfall. All the good things they did. Before they hit the pitfall. We specialize in looking at people. And saying well you know. You know brother. I know he won't mind. Because he and I go to lunch quite frequently. You, you, you know brother Wayne. Through, went through CLM right. Y'all know what CLM is. So you, you, you know. I mean brother Wayne. He's been coming to church for. For months now, and he, he, he volunteers back at the ministry, and he works at the, the resale store sometimes, and then he, he's faithful to church. But now, you, let's be real, Pastor. I mean, you have to know. I mean, can you really trust some other Wayne now? You know, he, you know he's well, but back in the day. And I know God saved him and everything, but I mean, he went through CLM. That makes him a little, you know, like suspicious, don't you think, preacher? That's how people like to do things. They like to talk about what you used to be rather than what God's forming you to be. They like to talk about what you used to be like and what life used to look like rather than what God is conforming you like in his image. We all like to sit around and go, well, you know, you know, Brother Randy, Brother Randy was a Navy man. He was a sailor. Y'all know what them sailor people do when they're on them boats. Y'all know, I mean, he was gone for months from Sister Carol. Y'all know, he, he probably let a few words fly on that boat when something was happening. You know, he, he might be able to teach Sunday school. But, you know, he was a Navy man, and I ain't never met a saved Navy man in my life. Come on, somebody. Y'all know how people talk. 
Ain't just brother, ain't just brother Randy. Brother Larry was a Navy man too. I got a bunch of heathens playing in our band. We got a bunch of people playing in our band. You see, we're quick to always look at everybody else's problem. To look at their flaw. The word of God says don't look at the speck of dust in your brother's eye. When you have a plank of wood that is protruding out of your own eye, don't judge other people lest you also be judged. For in the same manner you are judged, you, you judge others, you, so shall you be judged as well. The apostle Paul told the church at Rome, a totally different church, he told the church at Rome in Romans 3 and 23, he said, for all have sinned, not, not some, everybody has sinned and fallen short. Of the glory of God. The apostle Paul the writer of two thirds of the New Testament. Said listen compared to the rest of you out there. I'm the chief of sinners. So if I can get saved. There's hope for everybody in this building today. You see what the apostle Paul was telling us. He said look. Jesus is no respecter of persons. Just because your past is checkered. Doesn't mean God doesn't specialize with whiteout. You might make a mistake. And you have to X out some things in your life. But God has this thing called liquid fluid called white out. That sometimes he can just white it out and act like it never happened. Because God is not interested in what you used to be. He's more concerned about what you're going to be when he's finished with you. For he who begins a good work is not going to leave it. He's going to be faithful to complete it. He doesn't start something to half do it. When he starts it, he's going to get it right when he gets it done. It'll be done when he's finished. We like to look at the problems everyone else has. We like to have a perfectionist attitude that will magnify the inadequacies of other people. You see, when we pray, the manner of which we pray these triumphant prayers, it should not be like the Pharisee and the publican. Our manner of prayer shouldn't be the Pharisee, Oh Lord, look at me and all I've done. I've got phylacteries on the side, which was the word of God, and scrolls and tablets. I've got phylacteries on the side of my arms, God, of Deuteronomy chapter 6, about telling my children that, that, that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Lord, I, 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 I have served in church for 30 years. I am the president of, the, of this particular booster club or some kind of club or, uh, in town. And I'm the chairman of the council, and I am the Sunday school superintendent. And I, No, no, no. God doesn't need those people with that kind of prayer. What he's looking for is a man who doesn't feel like he's worthy with his head bowed to the ground, bent over double, beating his chest, saying, Lord, I'm not even worthy to have this conversation with you, but it, just in the event you might consider listening, here's what I have need of today. And Jesus said, which one you think I'm paying attention to? Not the haughty man standing up there with his head high like a turkey with his head up in the air trying to tell me how wonderful he is. I noticed the one who bowed his head low because if you humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that's when he exalts you up in due time. Pride goes before destruction and the haughty spirit before the fall. But the Bible said God gives grace grace to the humble to the humble you see our manner of prayer is not to be look at me God it's to be woe is me God for I am undone we all like to pray look at me God but the prophet Isaiah said but woe is me God for I am a man undone a man of unclean lips and the Bible said that the angel of the Lord took a coal from the altar of heaven and anointed these lips of clay and he said who will I send and Isaiah said you can send me and when the angel of the Lord touched him the Bible said that the Lord sanctified him he basically gave him new speech he, he, he consecrated he made that which was unholy holy when God is in the middle of it you don't have to puff up and promote 
promote yourself. If you're humble, God will promote you in due time. That's the manner of how we should pray. It's not about look at me. It's about woe is me. But in verse 17 through 22, the Apostle Paul gives us the content of prayer. He talks about certain things, certain spiritual things he wanted. He wanted a spiritual enlightenment. He wanted their eyes to be enlightened. Verse 17 and 18, and I'm not going to read it for time's sake. But he wanted them, their, their spiritual eyes to kind of come to, to a, an enlightenment moment. He wanted them to have the spirit of wisdom and revelation. He's not praying that they be filled with the spirit. But he's praying that they get the wisdom and the revelation to administer the things of God in their lives. You see, we often like to talk that we want a rhema word, which means utterance, or a God-spoken word to you. But there's also another form of God's word. Rhema is the spoken word of God to you. But Logos is the written word of God that is just His word. And you can't have a spoken word of God till you first know the meat of the written word of God. Because how is God going to give you a spoken word when you don't know how to recognize when it is His word? Hello? Content of prayer. You pray to God. You're not going to know if God heard your prayer or not. But if you have a right relationship with God and you've studied His book, you'll be able to know that even when I'm praying, even if I don't know if He knows, God knows what I have need of before I even ask and think or pray for it. You'll know that when you pray, it doesn't fall on deaf ears because you know His written word. Before you're waiting for the enlightenment moment, you can know that God is already hearing your prayer. You see, revelation and wisdom is a very important aspect of the Christian journey. Martin Luther was known for his bold prayers. In 1540, Martin Luther's great friend and assistant, Frederick Manconius, became very sick. And he was expected to die within a short amount of time. <coughs> Excuse me, God bless me tonight. On his deathbed, he wrote a letter to Martin Luther. With trembling hands. When Martin Luther received the letter. He didn't. He wasn't willing to accept that word. Sometimes we have to have enough faith to say. I know what the situation looks like. But I believe God's not finished writing the story. And Martin Luther with his revelation. Having that kind of revelation from God. Didn't accept the letter. Brother Mike, he tore the letter and he got his own piece of paper and pen. And he responded back to Frederick. And this is what he wrote to Frederick. I command you in the name of God to live. Because I still have need of you in the work of reforming this church. God's church. The Lord will never let me hear that thou art dead. But will permit you. To survive and live after me. For I am praying. This is my will. And my will be done because I seek only to glorify the name above every name. The name of Jesus. The words almost were shocking to read. But they had a connotation of a man that had had a revelation from God. By the time Luther's letter arrived at Maconius' bedside. 
He had already began to lose mobility of speech and movement. But in a short time after the re of someone reading the letter out loud in his hearing, within just a short amount of time, Aconius began to get feeling back in his limbs. His speech began to come back into his mouth. And he recovered completely, holistically, lived six more years, and outlived Martin Luther by two months. When you pray, you need to believe that you know who you're talking to and what you're talking about because I believe Martin Luther had prayed with God, had spent enough time with God that he had confidence that if God's word said it could be done, it could be done. And Martin Luther King, I mean not Martin Luther King, but not Dr. Martin Luther, when he wrote that, Martin Luther said, look, I believe with all my heart that if I pray this prayer, you won't die, but you will live. You know what he's praying? He's not praying his words. Because the psalmist David declared the same thing. It wasn't like Martin Luther had some great uh, uh, enlightenment moment. No, he remembered what he had read in God's word. Because the psalmist David said, I shall live and not die to declare the works of the Lord. What Martin Luther was really saying is, God, your word already said that we can declare to live and not die to declare the works of the Lord. I need him for I have need of him to do this. And God heard the prayer, a triumphant prayer of a man who had been in commune with him. You see, we have hope in Jesus. You see, we have to realize that prayer is like a, a spiritual inheritance. It is something that is valuable. Our prayer life, the way we pray to God and, and, and having that atmosphere like we talked about this morning to be able to plug into a power source by God giving us that access to boldly come into the throne room of grace where we may obtain help in time of need. By having that access to God via prayer, we need to treat it as if it's the most invaluable thing and precious commodity we have in this life. It's like the story of a man who was a gem enthusiast. He loved rare gems. One day he was out and about and he happened to see that someone was having a garage sale. And so he stopped in. He found this unusual large rock. He thought at first it might be a gem rock, but he wasn't sure because it was just a large lump of rock. He asked the person at the garage sale, how much for the rock? The person replied, oh, you can have it for $10. So he pulled out a $10 and he gave it to them. He took home this rock. For a couple of weeks, he let the rock sit on the shelf and he kept thinking about, that rock just looks like it would be worth something. I, just, I don't know what it is. It's just, there's something about that rock. Finally, his curiosity got the best of him, and he took it to be broken open. He took it to a gymnast, and he wanted them to crack it, and he wanted to see what, what might be inside. The newspaper reported that the owner of this rare rock, when he had it cut professionally and mounted, that he had approximately two, between two and five million dollars gems with inside that rock a ten dollar rock worth two to five million dollars of stuff inside I'm sure somewhere out there there was a very sick garage salesman entrepreneur who wished to God he'd have cracked that rock open before he'd have sold it for ten dollars 
Because what that garage sale entrepreneur didn't realize, he had a very rich and extremely rich inheritance sitting on his shelf for years and years and years. But he let it go because he didn't understand the importance of its value. This loss is nothing though compared to the loss when we realize how much good God sees inside of us and the potential we are. But we trade the things of God out for a fleeting moment of sin in this world. The reality of it is that man had for years had a, a multi-million dollar piece of property. And yet he sold it for chump change because it was just a dirty looking old rock. To the devil, you may look like a $10 rock, just a dirty old lump of coal. Worthless. Of no value. Of no importance. But the Bible said Jesus thought you were so invaluable he came out of heaven. He transcended time and space. He wrapped himself, he took, he took off his divinity cloak and his divinity uh, robes and crowns. And he clothed himself in carminality and human flesh. He was, came as meek and mild as a baby. He came all the way to this earth, lived 33 glorious and precious years to die one of the most vicarious deaths there ever has been ever mentioned in human history. But he resurrected and he ascended back to the right hand of the Father to make intercession for you, knowing good and well that not everybody would say yes to his invitation. But yet he thought you weren't just a $10 lump of coal. He thought you were more valuable than anything else. He saw something so invaluable in you. He thought his life was worth giving up his life and dying for you. That's how much he thought you were worth. That's a lot. The devil wouldn't give two copper pennies for your life because he doesn't give a flip about your life. Jesus gave up his whole life because he saw the value inside of you. The Apostle Paul, when he's praying to this church, he tells them, he said, look, there's an inheritance that God has for you. He said, God, if you read, and I won't for time's sake, if you read the preceding 14 verses, the Apostle Paul writes to this church at Ephesus. He talks about those things, things like spiritual blessings, being chosen to be with him before the foundations of the earth, adopted as sons, accepted by the beloved, redeemed by his blood, being able to be revealed the mysteries of his will, abounding in wisdom, obtaining him in inheritance, being sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, and being given earnest, owned your inheritance. He tells them all of these things, and then he prays for them. The fullness of his prayer was he wanted the directionality to be about the power of God. He wasn't praying for everybody. He was praying for the church, the saints. You see, we have to realize that Jesus Christ, Ms. Carol, as you make your way, when we pray, we have to believe the surety of it. We have to believe when we pray, God hears. We don't pray amiss. We pray towards a mark, towards a target, towards a goal. We pray. There are countless scriptures that remind us and tell us of the power of Jesus Christ in the work in, his li in our lives. You know, I, one cannot properly conclude this prayer without looking at the fulfillment Paul desires for the church. In the closing of this doctrinal book, 
in the latter half of chapter 3 the apostle Paul says that he desires for them that Christ may dwell in their hearts by faith and in incomparable love and in dimension length, depth, height, breadth his boundless power is able to do exceedingly able to do all above all, abundantly above all exceedingly abundantly above all power that works within us you see sometimes in your life you'll get your answer to prayer not when you're praying for it for yourself but when someone else is praying for you on your behalf and sometimes you'll get your answer to your prayers when you're not praying for yourself, but you also are praying on their behalf. More often than not, when you start focusing not on your own problems, but you start praying prayers for other people, God will honor the prayers you offer up for others. And He'll answer your prayers in the process. And you'll look back and go, wait, when did God, God, I, I didn't, you just took care of that situation. Yes, He did. See, I, I believe that is what Divine Encounter 24 is all about. When we come on Monday nights and Wednesday mornings, we're not coming in here to pray amiss. We're coming here to pray on a target. For some people, they're praying for their families. Some people, their target is this church. Some people, their target is their ministry. Some people, their target is for God to open up other opportunities and other ministries and other leaders within this body. Some people are praying for, their, for themselves, for their marriages, for their jobs. They come in here with a targeted prayer. Not just, okay God, I'm here. You know, do whatever you want to do. But I'm going to tell you right now, the best way to pray triumphant prayers is not praying for you. It's praying for others. Because the Bible said that you should prefer your brother. You know, pray for Brother Wayne. While you're praying for Brother Wayne, you can know that Brother Wayne's praying for Brother James. While Brother James is praying for Brother Wayne, and Brother Wayne is praying for Brother James, Brother Wayne and Brother James are praying for Brother Dennis. But while they're praying for Brother Dennis's situation, Brother Dennis is praying for Brother James and Brother Wayne. See how this goes? And then when Sister Glenda is praying for Brianna, but Brianna's praying for Miss Sandy, but Miss Sandy is praying for Miss Sherry, but Miss Sherry is praying for Miss Glenda. We're all making a link. We're making a chain. We're all praying for somebody, but God's hearing the prayers of His people on behalf of everybody. We're linked together. This ain't a journey of solo. This is not a solo journey. This is a journey of faith together. We walk these roads together. You want to live, you want to pray triumphant prayers? Don't pray for yourself all the time. Look at me, God. Pray prayers of woe is me, God. And will you touch my brother and my sister? Will you bless them today? Will you make their pathways known today? God, will you give them exceedingly abundantly what they can ask or think or comprehend? Will you fulfill your promises in their life, God? When you start doing that, you'll realize your petitions start getting smaller and smaller because God starts answering them because you hadn't even been paying attention because he's been taking care of it behind the scenes. The next two weeks that we're on this journey, starting today, 
to the culmination of the 28th. I challenge you to when you pray, you can journal all you want to your own prayers about what you have need of, and that's fine. But I'm asking you to pray more for other folks in your life and their needs than your own. Take that challenge and see if God doesn't answer some of your prayers along the way. I'm not saying you can't mention them to God, but don't spend all your time focused just on yourself. But tell God that you want to pray for your other brothers and sisters that have needs as well. Some of you may like to call people out by name, go through a director and call them by name. That's ph phenomenal. That's a great way. Some of you may go by pews. When I'm in here, I pray by seats. When people start shuffling seats, they may not get prayed for because they move their seat. I pray by where you sit every week. Because most of the time, you're pretty consistent. So I walk by and I, I know where Bill and Evelyn Barnes normally are going to sit. And I know where Corey and Jennifer Burbage are normally going to sit. Or, or where, where April's going to sit along with, with uh, Jennifer and Larry or Brother Randy on this front pew or Ms. Alma on the second. I kind of know where everybody's going to sit. So when I'm walking through the building, I may just be walking through to go get something out the back. And just when I walk by, I say, you know, God. I don't know what Brother Randy has need of today, but touch him just because I happen to walk by his pew. However your mode and methodology is, you do it how you do it. But I'm telling you, when you start praying for others, God will start answering for you. He'll answer for you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, Eternal Father, I have done the best of my ability to decree and declare and to preach the unadulterated word of God to the people of God in the hearing of God's people. Father, I pray we leave this place Everything that has been said or done in this house this morning and this evening. God has been brought a product that is pleasing unto your sight. It is not fallen on, I decree and declare, it is not fallen on deaf ears. But your word never falls that way, but it accomplishes the task it is sent to do. So Father, as we get ready to leave this place, I pray God that you would go with us. May you bless us and keep us. Make your face shine upon us. Be gracious to us. Lift up your countenance towards us. Give us the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding. God, our hearts until you come again. May the words of our mouth and meditation of our hearts this week be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and redeemer. In Christ's holy and precious name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Before we're dismissed, and I have Brother Randy pray our benedictory prayer. A couple of housekeeping things. Don't forget tomorrow night, Divine Encounter 24, 7 p.m. Divine Encounter 24. Tomorrow night, 7 p.m. You don't want to miss it. It's been a beautiful, beautiful time in the Lord that we've had. Please come, if all possible, in this house. It's something about praying together. It just is a beautiful experience. Make sure you're mindful of that. Nehemiah ministry will happen on Wednesday at 10 a.m. in this property and in this building. Make sure you, if you can, to come join us in that. If you can't join us, pray where you're at. Home, school, wherever. Just pray in your head. You know, you realize it's around that 10 o'clock. Just say, okay, Lord, just want to make mention of you today. Wednesday night Bible study at 7 in the back. Next Sunday morning, next Sunday night, normal schedule. Just don't forget, if you're coming or interested in coming, uh, the Sawyer baby shower that they're going to have for Vanessa, for all her family and friends down here, closer to this area where they've been for a quite amount of time. That'll be 2.30 next Sunday afternoon if you want to bring anything. They're not requiring it uh, because, you know, church per se is not hosting it. But if you want to bring... Um, you know, any kind of fruit trays or chips or any kind of drinks or anything like that, I'm sure they would mo most appreciate it and welcome it uh, in honoring the celebration of their soon-to-be arrival of baby Matthew. And I'm sure they would, but if nothing else, if you can, just try to drop in next Sunday at 2.30 and just poke your head in the door and just show her how much we love her and we appreciate them and they're part of our family. 
And uh, we just want them to know that we're welcoming and excited to welcome baby Matthew here in about another month and some change as well. Let's stand all over the house. I'm going to ask Brother Randy Erzberger. Yes. sure we mention brother we want to mention brother Mary and also continue to remember sister Jennifer Burbage as well and uh, and sister Barnes who's still sick uh, as well uh, as brother and Miss Ann Miss Ann's not feeling well tonight that's correct I forgot about Miss Ann that's why Miss Ann's not here we want to pray for her as well alright I'm going to ask brother Randy to close us out in prayer after his prayer you're free to be dismissed we'll see you this week God bless you